0: Good to see everyone here uh, who's here in person, and um, for those who are watching from home, uh, good on you for joining us in really challenging times. Now, I've got a a bit of a confession to make. Uh, Over the last two years, and maybe I'll blame it on COVID, I've actually gone over to the dark side. What do I mean? Well, I used to only have Apple computers and devices at home. But slowly and surely over the last two years, they've been one by one replaced by PCs and Android phones. The only exception are iPads, so the iPads are feeling pretty lonely in the Apple sphere in the co-household. Now, if you know anything about these devices, you'll know that one of the biggest differences is that with PCs, Windows computers, you can basically BYO, right? Bring your own Build your own with generic parts with Apple and Mac OS. It's a lot harder to do that. And then with um, phones, devices, um, with iOS, the Apple operating system, only Apple branded products can use them. Whereas Android, right, is the operating system for every other brand, Samsung and all the other ones. Now. Whatever you might think, and wherever you might fall on the PC versus Mac and Android versus iOS debate, it really doesn't matter, okay? Um, The truth is, the reason why we've kind of mainly gone over to the other side is because it's just a a lot cheaper. Um, But I want to say this, though, and you might not have ever thought about it like this, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is more like, here I go, is more like Apple than PC, It's more like iOS than Android. How? Well, it's this, because when it comes to saving faith in Jesus, you can't take Jesus and then try and mix and match him into your existing life operating system. You kind of get what I mean? Like you can't bring whatever part you like about the gospel, Jesus, and hope that it'll operate your old life and the old priorities and old dreams and old desires. Mix and match. See, the gospel is like apple. You've got to commit to the whole package. All right? Jesus has to be everything or nothing at all. The gospel has to be the whole package. Because Jesus hasn't just come to make the old you better. He's come to give you a new you. Yeah? Now, this um, series we're looking at for the next few weeks Is on our church DNA. What makes Southwest Evangelical Church SWEC? What makes SWEC SWEC? And the first thing we want to talk about is gospel renewal. In fact, one of the goals that we help clarify as as, as a team of pastors and elders is that we must pray and preach and pastor towards gospel renewal. Right? So, what is gospel renewal and why is it so important? Well, to show you, I want to first take a look at what happens when gospel renewal isn't important, when it's not there. And we're going to do that by looking at one of the early believers in Jesus who essentially tried to do the PC Android thing with the gospel. Okay, So um, on your outlines, we're going to have a look at when the gospel renewal is not important. Let me just pray and then we'll get into quickly the passage in Acts. Father, thank you that you've kept uh, our church safe, Though people have gotten sick, though people have had to isolate, we haven't heard of anyone who's had to be hospitalized. We've certainly not had any deaths or near deaths. And we thank you for that. We know that that is your mercy. Please continue to do that. But right now, take us away from all those distractions we ask. And by your Holy Spirit, make our hearts hear you. Hear you, Father, speak to us. So that we as individuals, and we especially as a church, might change as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's look at this guy called Simon. Quick context. Um, the early church exploded onto the scene after Jesus uh, rises from the dead, goes up to heaven because the Holy Spirit is poured out uh, on the day of Pentecost. Uh, Peter, the chief disciple, preaches his first sermon. 3,000 people are converted, right? This is, a, this is a revival, the first revival. And then they all go and preach the gospel to everyone in the city of Jerusalem, Then shortly after, persecution hits, and the first Christian is killed for his faith, a man called Stephen. And as a result, though, these Christians in Jerusalem are forced to scatter outwards out of Jerusalem, but you see, it was all part of God's plan, even in persecution, because that was the way that the good news would now go beyond Jerusalem. And so one guy, Philip, he goes to Samaria. Now, Samaria, Samaritans, you remember, if you know a little bit about Bible history, they're ancient enemies of the Jewish people. So it's pretty astounding that he goes there anyway, but that was always God's plan. So he preaches there, and in the midst of a culture that's full of spiritual darkness and demonic possession and sickness and suffering, he brings deliverance and healing in Jesus' name, signs and wonders in Jesus' name. And many are converted, including a local celebrity by the name of Simon. Now, we're not exactly sure what it means in verse 9 when it says that he was a sorcerer or he practiced sorcery. Uh, but we know that right, witchcraft and sorcery is not just something that we do in Dungeons and Dragons. It's actually real because the Bible talks about it and the Bible forbids it in real life. right? Because just as miracles can be performed by the power of the Holy Spirit and in Jesus' name, so false miracles can be performed by the power of Satan and demons. And that's what the Bible calls witchcraft or sorcery. So that was Simon. Now, whatever exactly he did, we don't know. But back then, Simon was the go-to guy for miracles. But then the gospel comes. And you see, sorcery must have been pretty limited because when the gospel comes, Jesus succeeds where his sorcery fails. And Simon himself, well, he knows when to ditch the losing side, right? It's like the, uh, the ashes, when, you know, if you watch the cricket. Um, and he becomes a believer. He knows, okay, my lot is up. I'm going to throw my lot in with Jesus. And then in verses 14 to 17, the leaders of the Christian movement, Jesus' own chief disciples, Peter and John, well, they go up to Samaria just to confirm that this work started by Philip was genuine. Now, how they confirm that? Well, they confirm it is that when the Holy, the Holy Spirit, who we remember, had only been given up to now to those Jewish believers in Jerusalem, Well, now Peter and John come, and through them, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Samaritans in the same way. So there's a delay in them believing in Jesus and receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, this delay is not because of some sort of Pentecostal second baptism of the Holy Spirit, but because this is a unique point in the Bible's history where the gospel goes to a different group of people for the first time, and it needed to be verified, confirmed, stamp of approval, by the apostles Peter and John. Needed to come from them. Okay, so the Samaritan believers, they also received the Holy Spirit. And here is where Simon comes in again. So let's pick up uh, the passage we read before, but let's read it again. Verse 18, have a look with me. When Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you. Because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Now, you catch what's going on here with Simon. Simon was a believer. You got that? By this time, he was baptized along with all of the other new Samaritan converts. Everyone there would have been, wow, that's Simon. He's a Christian now. He is a follower of Jesus. But ask yourself as you read this, how deep did the gospel go in Simon? What was Simon trying to do? with Jesus in relation to his old life. Did you notice what he was trying to do? He wanted Jesus and the apostles to give him the ability to make money out of the gift of God, the gift, the free gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, he was still the same Simon. He wanted the fame. He wanted the money. He wanted the influence, the power for selfish gain. I mean, Jesus was great, far greater than his sorcery. So he thought, well, let me take Jesus, and try to mix and match Jesus with my old life. You see, he was trying to PC and Android Jesus. Now, the result is, well, the passage ends pretty suddenly. We don't know what happens, but if you look at his request for prayer, it doesn't even seem that sincere. It wasn't personal, was it? He didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. He's like, you pray for me, please, because I'm afraid of Church history, and we don't know how much credit to put in it, but church history does have a few people who wrote that Simon eventually became an archenemy of the gospel. So, you know, whether that's true or not, we don't know. But I want to come back to this idea of gospel renewal. Right? What is it? Why is it important? What's gospel renewal? Gospel renewal is when the good news of Jesus goes deep enough to make a person completely new. Right? Gospel renewal. It's not Jesus plus my old life. It's a new birth, a renewal for a new you. See, gospel renewal is the only Christianity, really, because only born again Christianity is genuine Christianity. Simon the sorcerer is an example of the gospel that only goes skin deep. But I'm talking about it today because gospel renewal isn't just something that happens once at conversion, okay? It's actually part and parcel of our church's DNA, the culture we want to under God create. Because here's the thing, it needs to happen and keep happening. And it needs to happen again and again and again in our own lives and in our church. So let's have a look at the next point. I remember Simon wanted the gospel to sit comfortably with his old life his old idols of greed and power and influence. What about for us? Oh, well, I think for us, it's probably not going to be quite as crass as, that for, as it was for Simon. Um, but for churches, even good gospel, born-again, evangelical churches like ours, guess what? We are in danger of constant drift. Let me tell you what that looks like a few years ago. There was a survey of the youth of American churches, and what the youth of American churches who grew up at church, went to youth group, committed, what they actually believed, and this is what came out of the survey. This is what the youth of America essentially believed, these statements, when it comes to their faith. A God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible, and by most world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about yourself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life, except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And good people go to heaven when they die. Now I want to go out on a limb and say that this is what most people who aren't youth also believe in American churches. And in Australian churches, and I wonder if this is, in some form, what you also believe. You know, well, in other words, the gospel and Jesus is a nice addition to our lives to make us moral and nice people. Jesus can help us become better and happier people, but that's about it. Now, I don't know if you remember Tamagotchis. They've been around for years and so has this sermon illustration, by the way. But um, Tamagotchis are back because I just read an article just last year that they're back and they're more technically advanced than ever. So if you're not sure what Tamagotchis are, they're virtual pets, they've been around for years, decades really. But now they have colored screens. Now they can take pictures. Now you can network and and have play dates with other people's Tamagotchis. But really, it hasn't really changed for 20 or so years because the concept is still the same. Tamagotchis are not real pets. Right, They're not real pets. They don't inconvenience you like a real pet. We have a dog. They're very inconvenient. You carry them around in your pocket at your convenience. They fit in your pocket. I mean, sure, you have to digitally feed them and digitally play with them, or if you ignore them too long, they will die. But if they die, what do you do? You reset, and you start all over again. Nothing lost. I wonder if you have a Tamagotchi Jesus. Yeah, a Tamagotchi Jesus and a Tamagotchi gospel, a God that you keep comfortably in your pocket, you carry with you for when you need some help, you pet and feed with religion and church once in a while, but he never really inconveniences you, he never really makes demands of you, never makes you uncomfortable, never actually changes you. Is that your version of God? You see, we need gospel renewal because it's not just possible, but it's actually normal to be in church, but not really born again, converted. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, if this is you, and maybe you've realized that for the first time today that you need to be born again, converted, you need to speak to God about it. And also, it helps to speak to myself, Pastor Dom, about it too. But it's not just conversion. As I said, it's actually possible, it's actually normal to be in church, to be born again and converted, but drift towards this kind of shallow Tamagotchi Christian life. Do you kind of get what I mean? Churches drift. We drift. Genuine Christians drift. Good evangelical churches drift. I was talking to a newcomer just a couple of weeks ago, of why he left one of his old churches. And he said it's because he had a sneaking suspicion after a while that they were just taking Jesus into their comfortable, wealthy, ambitious, career-centered, middle-class migrant culture. Jesus makes all of that better. Where even in church, he felt that you had to have a certain education or job or income or influence to even be noticed. A church where really counting the cost for mission, and community never actually happened. Now I want to let you know the church he was talking about and left isn't some liberal, heretical, dying church. It's a pretty—I well, I can't name it—but it's a pretty well-known church in Sydney. But I don't want to point fingers because it could be our church too. This could be swag. Agreed. Why do we need gospel renewal? Because that happens. And it'll happen to every Christian and every church unless the gospel goes deep enough and keeps going deeper again and again and again. Because you, you may be here and, hey, understandable. COVID's just happened the last couple of years. And you've noticed, because COVID really hasn't helped, hasn't it? Lockdown hasn't helped, right? Disruption of disciplines and meeting together. That helped, doesn't. Maybe you've noticed it in your life, yeah? That drift, have you noticed it? Maybe you've noticed it in our church. So what if we have? What do we do now? My second point. We all know that nice is such a weak word, right? When you say someone or something is nice, what what are you really saying? (laughs) Yeah? Well, here's the thing. The first thing is don't settle for nice when it comes to your own Christian life. Or your church. See, a nice Christian, what is that? A nice Christian is not a transformed radical disciple of Jesus. A nice church is not a church that's going to be a beacon of light in this dark world, is it? Don't settle for nice. Look what Paul prays for in Ephesians 3. He prays, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with niceness, no, hang on, with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell comfortably in your heart, no, may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all of God's holy people, to grasp how nice God's love, no, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I wonder if you know married couples who are nothing more than good housemates. Right? They live together, they do stuff together, but there's no longer any intimacy or oneness or joy in their marriage? Well, what would you say to such a married couple? Wouldn't you say, hey, um, maybe it's time to renew your relationship? Yeah? Because when you got married, when anyone gets married, you didn't just want a permanent housemate. You wanted something far more than that, yeah? Well, is your Christian life like that? Has your Christian life become nothing? like what Paul prays here in Ephesians 3. There's no power. There's no Christ dwelling in your heart through faith. There's no roots going deep. There's no grasp of the height and the width and the breadth of Christ's love. There's no being filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now admit it, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you'll go through seasons like that, yeah? I have, Many times. And maybe you're in it, and you've been in it for so long. Well, don't settle for that, all right? The first step in diagnosing a problem is admitting there is a problem. Don't settle for nice. Be deeply discontent at the state of your life and the life of our church if Jesus has somehow over the years just gone into your pocket, settled in the edges, if your faith is just nice, but only skin deep. Don't settle. Now, gospel renewal, next one, is ultimately a work of God through His Holy Spirit by His Word. It is a supernatural thing. We can't manufacture it. However, what we can do is to work on the conditions that help renewal to happen as it should, as God wants it to. So as a church, as I said, we set ourselves to pray, preach, and pastor towards gospel renewal. Right, this is part of the three planks of our church's DNA. We want to have a church and culture, church culture, where it's normal not to settle for nice, not to settle for skin deep, where Jesus is everything or nothing at all. Right? Now, that's something, especially if you're new at SWEC, we hope you experience here, because all of our programs, all of our decisions, we want it to be driven by this. We're not going to do it perfectly, but we want it. Now, at church, that's the bigger picture, but church is made up of you, a community of individual believers. And so if each member of SWEC doesn't want it, the church won't be it. So coming back to applying it to you, what can you do? What can I do? Now, I know nothing about growing fruit trees. I really should be asking Brett Jackson because he seems to be having a lot of success doing that. He's only been doing it for a couple of months, but he's grown fruit. It's awesome. Um, But here's the thing. I, I know enough to know that it's God who makes the tree grow, right? God brings the fruit. But what you can work on is what? The soil. You can work on drainage. You can work on pruning the branches, removing the weeds. In other words, you can work on the conditions for this fruit tree to be as fruitful as it can be. And so that's what we want to do. We want to remove obstacles to renewal. Three common blockages I want to suggest in our lives towards gospel renewal or that stops gospel renewal. They all start with un, unrepentant pride, unquiet times, unwillingness to step out in faith. So let's go, unrepentant pride. Now, you might be asking, why pride? Because it's true that any unrepentant sin will be a blockage. That's very true, like whether it's sexual sin or greed or anger or bitterness. But I want to mention pride especially when it comes to blocking renewal because it's a, well, firstly, it's a respectable sin, okay? Okay. Right? It's most easily ignored, most blind spotted in a Christian's life. It's one that will a lot of times be left untouched by Jesus. Because we all know that greed and lust is wrong, but we can actually celebrate pride. We just, you know, call it achievement or self confidence or ambition, you know what I mean? But I want, you to let you know, I want to let you know that pride is deeply anti-gospel. It is deeply anti the good news of Jesus because pride drives us towards what? To merit, to achievement and self-reliance. Now you contrast pride with what? Remember the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon, Matthew 5 to 7? What does he begin with? He says, blessed are the what? Who, Who are the blessed people? Let me tell you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the hungry and thirsty, right? God's economy is completely upside down to pride. It's the opposite of proud. You're blessed if you are desperate, if you are lowly, if you are longing. You see, nothing blocks renewal in a church like a proud, self-satisfied church. And nothing blocks renewal in a person's life quite like pride, the opposite is also true, right? Nothing sets the context for renewal quite like brokenness and humility. And by the way, you know how God often achieves that, the humility, in order to renew us? Suffering. Suffering. Pain. It's not wasted. Right? If you're going through a season of suffering and pain, what might God be doing in terms of humbling? Because renewal could be just around the corner. See, could it be that what's stopped renewal and growth in your own Christian life, in my life, I look at this and this speaks to me, could it be that what's stopping it is actually pride? Pride is hidden so well, isn't it? So let's not just keep it in a concept. Let me give you some diagnostic questions to ask yourself. And I think this would apply to most people, if not everyone. It certainly, as I looked at it, applied to me in lots and lots of ways. Are you frequently harsh, sarcastic, passive-aggressive, judgmental, critical? Do you think the problem is usually with others, not you? Are you controlling and inflexible and don't like things not going your way? Is confession and brokenness rarely, if at all, in your prayers? Are you deeply afraid for people to see and know the real you? could you go, go a whole week without a desperate need to rely on God in prayer? I mean, you might pray, but you didn't really need it. Because if your answer is yes to any of these, and my answer is yes to most of them at any given time, then I want to suggest that pride is a problem. It's an obstacle. So repent of that. Right because unrepentant pride is the first big obstacle. The second is unquiet times. See, the gospel is not just a set of truths, is it? The gospel is a person. It's a relationship with that person, a relationship that renews you and transforms you the deeper you go and the deeper you grow. And so if it's a relationship and you don't take time to hear from Jesus, to respond to Jesus, to speak to Jesus, you're not going to allow the gospel time to take root in your hearts. Now, When I talk about here unquiet times, I'm not just talking about, well, let's all have quiet times. You know, the Christian jargon of what a quiet time is, is your daily devotions. That's important, okay? That is really important. But I want to literally mean quiet times, like quiet times, okay? Literally. You know, the times when you're unplugged, when you're away from the screen, when you're away from people. Just you and your thoughts. Just you and the Lord Jesus. Intentional time. Being present in the moment time. Time to think and process and ponder. Do you ever have time like that in your life? You might have a lot of spare time, a lot of leisure time. But they're very rarely quiet time. Satan's most destructive work in our life may be something very, very ordinary. Distraction. Now, If you never have intentional quiet times, quiet moments, I want to suggest to you it's very hard for renewal to take root. For the gospel to go deep. And the last one is unwillingness to step out in faith. Remember, gospel renewal is a powerful supernatural work of God the Holy Spirit as He speaks through His Word, the Bible. But when the Holy Spirit speaks, if we're unwilling or resistant to follow, even though it's God the Holy Spirit, the Bible says you can quench the Holy Spirit. You can douse His flames like you pour water on fire. He'll allow Himself to be doused. To be quenched. And here's the thing, the more you quench his voice, the less he will, well, the less you will hear him speak to you. So I want to ask if you've heard Jesus through his spirit speak to you about some area of your life where you might need to take a step of faith. Now it might be a little step, it might be a big step. You will know. Have you heard that? Maybe it is like confession and repentance, taking drastic action when it comes to sin, especially if it's secret, habitual sin. Maybe today it's pride, okay? But I don't want to just talk about sins. Like, has has God challenged you to take a step of faith in other areas? Maybe in terms of your career or ambition or money, not, not in terms of will you take a step to make more money. It's usually the opposite. Will you sacrifice stuff, money, ambition, career, advancement, so that you can prioritize the things that matter to Him. Have you heard Him speak, just an example, about those things in your life? And up to now, you've resisted, you've downplayed it, but He does it frequently enough for you to know He's tugging at your heart. He, he really wants you to do something about it. Well, will you take that step of faith? Right? It's not going to be easy. But if you do, you begin responding to the Holy Spirit's voice, and then he speaks louder, and guess what? Renewal might just follow. So there you have it. The first of our planks of DNA renewal. Next week, we're going to look at community and the week after mission. Let's get ready to sing. Thanks, Matt, and I will lead us in prayer. Father God, by your Holy Spirit, begin or continue to speak to us every person here in person listening online maybe you're catching up on the sermon later on holy spirit nothing is a barrier to you speaking powerfully and i pray that you would do that so that we might hear and experience your renewing voice so that personally and as a church we may be committed to gospel renewal because we sorely need it i need it our church needs it our world definitely needs it help us not ever to settle for nice, ever to settle for less, so that your work may be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.